Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to The Calling Vision. And this is a place where we explore and honor the idea that your vision has selected and is inviting you to bring it into form. And when you choose to align and partner with that vision, you can change the world. This is B.B. Harding, your host. And today I have as my guest, Lesmir Balasubramaniam. And I'd like to say a few words about Lesmir and how I know her. She said, I know her from my affiliation with the Two Purpose Network. And um, I recently completed an advanced course on Park of Self, where she was one of the co-filters. I found her to be lighthearted, thought-provoking, and a careful listener. I have to say that I wasn't until I started preparing for this podcast that I gained insight into how diverse she is. She has spent more than 30 years where she has had her work span the globe, countries such as East Africa, India, U.S., and the U.K. She's worked in industries that include finance and investment banking, health and development, nonprofit leader and consultant, international development and philanthropy. She's worked at the Bill, Bill and Melania, uh, Melinda, my Melania, oops, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and started her own social enterprise before most people even knew what that was. Um, she's also received an MBA from Yale. She's a media meditator and a mindfulness practitioner. One of the things that I liked on her um, website was that she considers herself as a transformational leadership coach and a thought partner to social innovators, philanthropists, and changemakers. Welcome, Austria. Thank you, Bibi. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So um, I thought that, you know, you and I could have some fun because one of the things that I saw on your website was uh, that there's a unique vision that wants to be birthed for you. And uh, I went when I read that, I went, oh, good spirit. So I thought, <laughs> I thought you and I could, you know, just kind of play around with that, you know. So what is it that you feel is being birthed for you right now? Uh, beautiful question. Um yeah, let me let me back up for a second to buy myself a bit of time. I think there's probably a unique vision wanting to be birthed through many of us. <laughs> and particularly those of us that are drawn, you know, into this world of change and transformation. Um, but probably everyone in some way. So for me, for me, part of that vision you know, it's 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 funny because as I was, uh, you know, preparing and thinking about our, our conversation, I have been reconnecting to that vision. And um, you know, when I when I first received the vision, it was it was crystal clear. It's still crystal clear, but but it's interesting that my understanding of it has shifted. So the vision was to 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 give you a sense. It was really an image. Uh, that I, I received during a meditation, during a True Purpose meditation, actually, given that we both have the True Purpose Institute in common. And um, and it was a vision of me sort of in a particular place, looking out from this, um, I guess it was somewhere between a hill and a mountain. It wasn't quite a mountain, but it wasn't quite a hill. And I was looking out across the plains in front of me and seeing communities and places start to light up 
And as they lit up, it was almost like little light bulbs going, going, you know, suddenly sparking into life and lighting up. And as they lit up, the the lights were expanding in these different communities that I, I could see from this vantage point. And then they were starting to stretch out and there was light starting to reach out and connect one community to another. And it was just this sense of um, places coming alive. And um, it was incredibly beautiful and, and very meaningful for me. At the same time, what I've learned over the years is that my my interpretation of that vision has been colored by my worldview at that point and my experience base at the different points in, in my life since I've since I had the vision. So for example, I received that vision not too long after I left the Gates Foundation. And so a lot of my work at that point was still very much in the world of global health, international development. So my initial sort of thinking about, okay, what is, how do I bring this vision into reality was much more connected to addressing very concrete, practical issues in the world, like addressing poverty or health challenges um, or agricultural challenges or environmental challenges, right? That sort of where my head naturally went because that was so much of my work at the time. Whereas now I've, you know, and that was that was well over 10 years ago. So it's been a while. <laughs> and at this point, you know, my my understanding of that vision is is quite different. It it's it's less about the tangible material plane and more about aliveness, um, energy, vitality, um, things that are, you know, about the the flourishing of human potential and human life. There's a tie, of course, to very practical and tangible, you know, human needs. But, you know, and I suspect I, I don't yet still fully understand the vision, right? That this is now just my interpretation from the place I'm at now. And with the worldview and the paradigms and the cosmology that I have now. So ask me again in 10 years and it, it may have evolved again. Yeah, that really matches, you know, pretty much what my experience is, you know, with my own. Um, is that, you know, my first understanding was, hell no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> and then and then over time, it's like, well, how do you how do I integrate that? And I find that the more that I, um, I don't know how to put it, that the more that I experience and the more that I move towards embodying that, that at the same time, it becomes a bigger understanding of what's going on, um, you know, than over what I originally started with. But, yeah, I just thought I'd say that, you know, for myself, it's not similar. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I'm, I'm I'm curious if I could sort of ask you a question about it because it's kind of helping me process my own reflections on it. Do you think it would have been possible to have opened up to the deeper meaning and understanding of that vision earlier? And if so, how? You know, um 
So let me just kind of have backtrack on that for myself. First of all, you know, part of the vision that I have is that I look at it, it equates to the mission statement, you know, that we learned about in the true purpose work. And um, my thought is, yes, I potentially could have opened to it. I certainly could have opened to um, the embodiment aspect of it after I learned it. But beforehand, I don't know that it's something that I would have adopted. I know that I'm doing, I've done a book recently. I'm in the process of getting it published. Um, we're in doing a retrospective because I essentially said to the universe, hey, so I'm meant to do this. Tell me how I was prepared. And I thought that was kind of bold to be asking the universe to do that, expecting that it wouldn't. Um, and I found that, you know, there's been a theme and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Found that there's been a consistent theme that's been present in my life. It's just that, you know, it's like you said, first of all, it's based in practicality and, um, you know, what have you. But now I feel that it's evolved into even higher than just practicality. And it's like, you know, that consciousness to, to bring in, because my, my mission statement is to bring all creation into communion. And, you know, besides saying that, you know, that was more than I can handle, um, I come to think of it as that, you know, on um, very practical terms, it's really awakening people to the idea that there's the wisdom in all things, all right, and that you can partner with that. And those are thought patterns that I never would have had, um, you know, way back in time. I don't know if that answers a question for you. And what you reflected on that is. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it does answer the question and it's similar to my own reflections on it. Because I, I think my, the, the, my answer to the question is yes and no. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, the, 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 the yes is it's always possible. Um, but the no is, is, is because I don't know that we're always ready or that we're always open. Yeah. And speaking of myself, certainly here, you know, I know there have been times in my life where I've, I've thought I was ready or I thought I was open, but, you know, from within the paradigms that we're, we're living within, it's very difficult to break out of that and to question it and to see what's possible. So one of the things I have to keep coming back to is this idea of letting go and surrendering to, to greater wisdom, um, to greater insight, you know, and, and this is another, another thing that I think is really interesting about this vision question um and this this podcast series that you're doing it because it's 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 also made me sort of really just just pay more attention to when we are receiving a vision versus creating a vision and i think that's a big part of what i've had to learn to let go because all my especially my business oriented training and organizational oriented training, it's much more about, okay, we're going to define the vision, right? We're gonna use the minds and the data and the history and the, what we want to do and the desires, and we're gonna create that vision. And that's not bad, that has utility. There's times where the creation of the vision, I think is, is incredibly useful, but that receiving of a vision is, is palpably different. Um, it feels different. It resonates differently. It's almost like a calling to live into 
something greater and to grow ourselves to be capable of realizing that vision. Again, one of the reasons I like the name of your podcast, right? The calling vision. It's 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 calling us to something greater. So it must be coming from a greater place of being, a different place of being than we're currently in. Totally agree with that. I was going to say, and then you've said it already, that you know one of the single largest things that I've learned in this process is that willingness to be open to receive, and that you know I, it's and and you also alluded to the same thing. It's not about us forcing our way through it, thinking you know that this is the way to go and this is how to make it happen, and that's actually you know how the calling vision seemed to be is that I get there. As I was listening to somebody talk about setting our goals for our vision, I'm sitting there going, we've got it all wrong. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. The vision goes, hello, I'm here. You're going to take me up or not? Yeah. And yeah, so I would say totally that it's, it's been a case of letting go how, how to make it happen and being willing to receive what wants to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I mean, again, this this there's a tie here again to me for the the uh, to the true purpose work that we're both involved in, right? Because because the methods that we utilize to connect to wisdom sources are powerful, right? They're they're the same yeah. methods that I think that can help us be open to receiving, but we still have to be open to receiving. There's still a choice there, um, a willingness, if you like. Uh, and and I know I know for myself, you know, even when I think I'm being willing, sometimes I'm not. There may be a part of me that's not right, ready to go there, not ready to receive it, or doesn't want to know it because then I might have to do something with it. <laughs> yeah, I can resonate with that one. <laughs> kind of like, oh, I'd like to have a conversation. No, I don't really want to have a conversation. <laughs> Exactly. I'm quite happy with my life as it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> don't mess it up, Nick. You know, you talked about, you know, on on your site, you talked about that, you know, one of the programs you have is working with people to overcome their saboteurs. I'm overcome, not now getting the right word, but, you know, in dealing with their saboteurs. So in your growing process, have you been aware of having saboteur energy? You know, I, I love, I should say, you know, parts of self, my little parts of self that are showing up, you know, you know we used to play this game in the forest. You know, it's like my curious part, my nervous part, my um, excited part, and all those other things. So um, my curious part is wanting to know, you know, do you have to deal with saboteurs? And what kinds of things were they talking to you about? And how did you mm. move past? Mm, interesting. Yeah, the saboteur framing, BB, is 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 really interesting because... The, the sort of saboteur sage frame comes from um, the positive intelligence program and Shazad Shamin's work. And, and I love his work. It's, it's excellent in many, many ways because what it does is it, it takes parts work, which you and I are familiar with. I know we're both voice dialogue trained. We've both been through inner harmony um, and so forth. So, so we know the complexity of the psyche and the myriad of parts uh, that are available to to engage with and that are you know part of what makes up who we are and how we are in the world. Um, but in in the positive intelligence program, what what Shazad has I think really cleverly done is he's used root factor analysis to say, okay, we've got this complexity of parts in our psyche. 
But when at the end of the day, when we look at the majority of people, what are the core recurring parts? And so he simplified through root factor analysis to kind of 10 core saboteurs that he says, you know, everyone has to some degree, but you probably you've got a handful of those that are really dominant in your psyche that are showing up that have probably helped you be as successful as you currently are, but might also be holding you back from that next level of happiness, effectiveness, um, and so forth. So there's there's that's where the saboteur language comes from. And then he contrasts that with, you know, one sage, um, which you could argue is, you know, a wiser elder self, for example. So it's a beautiful framework because what I find is the simplicity of it, together with the data and the science behind it, enables people who haven't never done parts work or don't understand the complexity of their inner world, it enables them to access and get, oh yes, I've got these saboteur characters and I've got this potential to be in Sage and I can learn to, you know, moderate their impacts on me. So the 10 core saboteurs are things like the controller, the hyperachiever, uh, the avoider, the pleaser, you probably, you know, the, the judge. Uh, you, yeah, so I mean, we all do, right? They're the victim, um, there's there's a few there's a few others but but so you can see very quickly people identify with oh i've got this character and so it's very empowering to have this this level of knowledge and i've definitely got a, a good bunch of those <laughs> sure but what i also find with the program is for, for, for me and for my clients it's a beautiful entry point into the depths of the psyche because as we know from our voice dialogue and our inner harmony work um there are no bad parts. So I don't call my parts saboteurs, really. I mean, I know I have actually multiple pleasers, but using the tools that, that you and I both have uh, been trained in and utilized, I've been able to understand the origins of one of my pleasers, for example, and quite gently and naturally help that part transform into a part that now actually is, is much more helpful to me. So rather than keeping me in old patterns and behaviors, they're like default pleasing styles that aren't really very um, helpful at this point in my life. Now, instead, that part's actually helping me kind of notice when I'm getting annoyed or when I'm about to shift into a pleasing behavior so that I can make a conscious choice to do something different. And so, so, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but maybe gives you a sense of, yeah, how I yeah, use some of these frameworks. Like the, yeah, some really good background, you know, and how it works and what have you. I'm wondering, though, like, as you've been evolving, you know, into more embracement of, you know, why you're here and who you are as you are here, um, it's like being aware. And did you only become aware because you started studying the field or did you start noticing that there were behaviors that weren't um that weren't productive for lack of a better term? Um yeah. Yeah. Good question. I I think I've 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 always I've always been an observer of an observer. You know, I'd be I'd often be the one just kind of quietly observing group dynamics or what's going on in a room or how are people behaving or you know what's what's the dominance emotion uh, at play so so I think at a quite an early age 
necessarily have the language for it or the frameworks for it or a way to explain it, but I think I developed some sensitivity and awareness to the differences in how people were showing up. And I certainly didn't have the parts language, so I, I wouldn't have necessarily been able to tell you, oh, they're in this part is now dominant and that's driving or affecting how they are showing up and behaving in the world for what they're saying. But I could see those things uh, moving through a person, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think from quite an early age, I had that awareness. It took longer, even though I was quite self-aware, I think from a relatively early age, it still took much longer to be able to recognize the degree to which parts, um, you know, and, and the consequent, you know, behaviors and paradigms that come with different parts were playing out in me. And in fact, I would say it has taken probably several different shocks to me, my life, my system, my aims, in order to uh, almost wake me up to the degree to which, you know, there were inner conflicts uh, within me or different parts pulling in dif different directions. And, and so, you know, those shocks are not necessarily pleasant to go through, but they are incredibly powerful for understanding oneself and then evolving oneself so that we can be more effective in the world, but also just happier and more at ease and feeling more whole, you know? Yes, I do know. And sometimes when they said back, I was thinking the metaphor of universe hitting me over the head with a superpower. You know, yeah. kind of a thing. It's like, you know, I used to say many, many, many years ago, wouldn't it be nice if the universe just sat down and said, okay, look, I really need to have your energy over here. So would you please go make a trip over there and, you know, just hang out. You don't have to do anything in particular. Just be there because I need your energy. And, you know, or, you know, hey, I really need for you to undertake this project because blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I sat down there going, well, yeah, that's the thing that I'd like to have happen. But then again, it's it's like, yeah, we're back to the part of the conversation. Do I really want to have this conversation? You know, and do I really want it to be something that is so crystal clear that the universe says, you know, be here, be there, do this, do that. And have it feel good. And, mm. you know, because I, I think um, it really would take, would, I'm trying to think of the, which path that is in the four, the four paths. It's the, it's the path of surrender, I think, you know, where the person is surrendering to the voice of spirit, you know, to be their guide and they unexpectedly do that. That's not me. Um, you know, and I know that's not me. Uh, but at the same time, I'm totally aware that there are people who are like that and who could carry off that, you know, particular notion that, you know, wherever the universe needs them, they'll go. Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet. But, and I know that. Do you have to you know, get to that point? Is, is that a necessary destination? I have no idea. You know, sometimes I... Sometimes I think it would be better. I mean, personally. Um, and at the same time, I'm really aware that as much as I, I have an awareness of my past life where several of them would have leaned into that really well. And this lifetime, I'm not doing that. And so I think I'm learning the contrast of that instead of, you know, absolute surrender and 
you know, being the steward of the voice of God, you know, becoming becoming the awareness that I, how do I want to put this? A friend of mine says, you know, we are all neurons in the mind of God. And I really like that feeling and a recognition that, you know, there's a there's an aspect of me that's in with the whole and an aspect of me that is, um, how do I want to put it? Yeah, that, that, you know, we're all there on a level playing field, more or less. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? What's, what's going through my mind is, um, is a realization I had a few months ago related to the four paths. And for anyone that's listening that isn't familiar with four paths, this is something created by Tim Kelly of the Chief Purpose Institute. Have you talked about this already on your podcast? I have not. No, before. Okay, so just in a in a in a just a very quick overview is if you think about the two by two matrix, um, <clears throat> on the on one axis is uh, ego, and you know do you have high or low ego? Right? How important is the ego in how you live your life and the choices that you make? Is it high? Is it low? Um, the idea here is not to judge. Uh, your choices, but just to provide a framework for for where and how people are operating or choose to operate. So high or low ego on on one axis, and on the other axis is connection to trusted source or wisdom or soul or you know whatever language um, most resonates uh, with with you know the person the, the audience. But there again, it's you know, do you want a very strong connection to that wisdom source so that it's a combination of of wisdom guidance that's helping you make your decisions and your choices and determining how you live and live and work, or very low um, trusted source. And then, so given it's a, a two by two matrix, you've got different combinations, right? High ego, high trusted source, low ego, low trusted source, or some some mix of the two. So the path of surrender that you're talking about is. Um, high trusted source, low ego. I tend to oscillate between the path of presence. So think Eckhart Tolle as an example, which is low ego and low trusted source. So I oscillate between that and kind of the opposite, which is high ego and high trusted source, which is the part of purposeful partnership, uh, which Tim Kelly and, and uh, sort of the two purpose institutes um, exemplifies, but the the realization that I had a couple of months ago is that yes, these are options, and yes, many of us have probably played with different parts at different points in our lives. Um, there's no rights or wrongs necessarily. There is a question of healthy ego or unhealthy ego, uh, and and that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. But it, but it occurred to me. And, and, and it was almost one of these, I'm not sure I'd call it a vision, but it was certainly one of these sort of sudden knowings that emerged that actually you can transcend all four paths, mm-hmm. right? So the paths are, are yeah, they're in some sense just a frame or a way of thinking and operating, but there is a transcendent way of being. And that to me is exciting to reach that point. I mean, I'm definitely not there, but but that feels to me like a more useful goal. And the reality is I don't think many people will actually probably get there in this lifetime um, to a transcendence above those paths. But but that felt important um, 
for me as I was kind of contemplating the past one day. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, do you call it the transcendent pathway or do you call it, you know, something else? Even? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, for me, if I'm picking this in, it's, you know, the recognition that we put labels on things to try to define what it is so that we can talk about it, but yet the experience of it goes way beyond, you know, the, what we can talk about. And I, I know I find that when I have that momentary knowing, as you put that a lot of times it can be very difficult to even try to articulate it. I don't know if you can answer that or not. And it's like, you know, just waiting. Um, you know, I've seen this with people who are bringing in what I consider new messages into the universe, that new awarenesses. I've, I've experienced multiple times where the person starts out, you know, sharing the message and it's kind of like over the head. And then as it gets anchored more and more into this dimension, then, you know, people can start talking about it. And I've seen that again and again and again. And it's, it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting what you've just said to me because, because I think this is in some ways the core challenge for us as human beings on the planet. It's, it's, can we, allow whether it's the visions or the knowing or you know the emergence whatever it is can we allow it to be expressed and created through us unencumbered because we Mm. each have a unique essence right so if we're all part of this larger whole our little flavor our essence is is unique and and then that uniqueness of course gets clouded and shaped and you know uh, evolved I suppose through our actual experience of living on this plane of existence and so this challenge is can we can we allow the essence expression to be pure unencumbered by you know those paradigms and those things that are somehow restricting the the full expression of it and I think it's the same for the vision the same for the knowing the same for for you know those sparks of inspiration that that come through and that yeah this but this is the beauty of the journey right there's always another level of free expression and um, purity of expression that may be a better framing for it actually can we express and create purely because that's powerful if we can I think that's what has the power to really change change the world yeah you know I look at that you know, as you're saying that, and what comes up to me is the fact that um, how do I want to say this? You've got the essence of your being that's here and present that has no need to do anything. And if we can allow that expression of self to come forward, and and then what we've done is put on top of that. For us to get to know that and learn to express it, we put on top of it all of these frameworks, you know, for lack of a better word, that are meant to um, save away that essence. You know, we we dumb it down. You know, we're you know get into the parts that go don't do that, man. They'll hate you. You know, or you know the parts that go well, yeah, well you'll get yourself crucified. You. You know, if you keep going down that path, um, you know, those kinds of things. And 
just looking at what are all of the things that we put on top of ourselves that stop us from being able to just be with the essence being. Hearing you say that, I'm I'm reminded that these parts have purpose, as you know, right? Generally, they want our physical and emotional survival in the world, so they're trying to keep us safe in the best way they know how. And but 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 the challenge is often the how that they're they're doing is is what constrains that purity of expression, and for good reason, because probably at an early age the purity of expression was squashed or somebody had a bad reaction to it, right? And it wasn't safe to express. So, you know, it's a lifelong journey, I think, for most of us to evolve beyond those those early wounds and have the courage and the capacity to express from an essence level again. I mean, in your journey, are you aware of how those early wounds affected or impacted your ability to move forward with what you're doing now? To some extent, to a large degree, I think, yes. But there always seems to be another level of understanding and awareness. So, <laughs> again, like the vision, I might completely, you know, ask me again in 10 years, I may have a slightly different answer. But... Um, but yes, uh, I, I think I do. And I mean, part of it is it, it wasn't safe to, to be kind of the exuberant, bubbly child that I was. Um, and, you know, I, I had a, a pretty good childhood. It's not like there was anything really horrible that happened to me, but it, it doesn't have to be trauma with a big T, right? But, but yeah, for the exactly. essence to be stifled, for the aliveness to to get stifled. Um, and I, I, I remember in particular one conversation, I, I, I can't remember if we were at home or if we were somewhere on holiday, but a comment was made by one of my parents that I, I couldn't sit still, right? I was a very lively, active child. And but there's something about the way this comment was made. I took it as a challenge. Uh, I was going to show them that I could be absolutely still. And um, and and somehow, you know, that got stuck. I got stuck in this kind of still silent mode to to a degree for for a while. And it's interesting, Bibi, because I've also over the years as I've you know, reconnected to my essence and my purpose and done a lot of the inner work to heal some of, of my wounding um, and to create kind of more wholeness and alignment in myself, I've realized there was that stillness that I imposed on myself, but there's also this deep vein of stillness that runs through me. And, and so as I've been able to unpack that, I'm now much better able to tap in to the deeper vein of stillness that's, that's I think, beyond me in some way, right? But it's, it's perhaps part of my essence. And I think that early, early decision that I made to be still, to show them that I could be still, somehow was part of my training. Um, but I have to be very careful because I, because, I think a lot of people, you know, who don't know me super, super well, 
can't differentiate between when I fall into that sort of learn still mode versus the deep still mode. Although those that have more of a spiritual edge do get it because there's a different quality of stillness and presence when I'm in the deep still mode. Yeah, I mean, what strikes me when you share that is that that deep stillness is that surrender and opening and receiving, whereas the other level of stillness is that making doing. Um, mm, interesting. And there's 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 a huge difference. Um, I all I can think of is you know it's the deep stillness that runs through you, you know, or the deep well, you know, that's in there and. Yeah, it, it really it feels like it's the being versus the doing. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful way of articulating the difference. I really, I really love love how you did that. It's interesting because it does make me wonder, though, isn't it? The doing, the doing somehow was important. I I believe to help me tap into the being, which now has probably more potency. Um, so this is where the interplay between what it means to be a human with our mind and our physical needs in a world that is really much beyond the physical, right? I mean, if we look at energy mass equivalence, everything is energy and frequency. But but this interplay, this dance between the physical and the energetic um, comes back, I think, to some of the things we were talking about earlier. It's just another framing for... I think the core challenge of what it means to be human, can we move between these states of being in a dynamic and essential way um, and a useful way? Yeah, you know, what comes up for me is that when you talk about that, is that um, that challenge to be still, you would have never discovered, in my opinion, you know, or at least my current thought process, is that you never would have had the opportunity to discover that deeper sense of stillness because you never would have been aware of the idea. You know, somebody had to plant the idea of stillness for you to be able to work with it and allow it to evolve within you. At least that's that's the thought that I'm having at this moment, is that part of it is, you know, learning to reframe even the experiences that we've had and look at them as that they were our introduction, you know, for awarenesses that we would be able to hold and let it evolve, like to let the light show up around the, you know, community. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I think you're onto something very powerful there. I think that's right. It, it, it was sparking for me as well. I. I think that moment, that choice was powerfully catalytic, partly for mm. the reasons that you've you've said, and partly because by moving into a more still way of being, I probably became a much more astute observer of people and the world, right? So, so then all kinds of other insights and awarenesses and training were happening because 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 I was in that still mode now. The challenge, of course, is when you're young and you're doing all of this unconsciously, it's coming from a place of fear and protectiveness. And, and so there again, the work is to shift out of, to evolve beyond the fear and the protectiveness and the survival needs to be able to bring that, that skillfulness, that, those capacities 
from a place of love, presence, wholeness, um, and non-attachment. And that's something I'm 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 much more able to do now, having done a lot of healing work and meditation work. Um, but I still have to be conscious about it, right? Because I'm still human, so I can still fall into fear. Oh yeah. <laughs> but in fact, you know, one of the things that um caught my attention on your website was you talking about at the age of 40, you decided you were gonna, you know, dispense with the corporate world and you were gonna pursue joy and, you know, learning how to be a bit, you know, a, be a be a better you, you know, kind of a thing. And um when you decided to make that choice. Do you think that was like the reemergence of a bubbly child? Mm. Interesting question. I think that bubbly child has been trying to reemerge for a long time. <laughs> and <laughs> and occasionally has emerged but but not been able to sustain um you know being out uh so so that's still something of a challenge i'm still working working on that I'm getting closer you know but but there's still work to do there um i think there's another component to it as well though because I sometimes talk about kind of having, I mean, as Walt Whitman, I believe, said, you know, we are, um, what was the phrase? We are multi, we contain multitudes. And we do, right? We contain multitudes. And we've talked about parts already as an example of that. But when I think about that, I also sort of find myself, I have two primary poles. One is more that bubbly, excited, uh, child being young aspect whatever it is right that kind of energy the other is this is this wiser still presence right they're energetically very different and i haven't fully been able to explain or articulate them using the various frames and tools we have to get have our minds you know understand these poles and maybe i don't need to fully explain or articulate or integrate them in some way but I find them really interesting because they they both have value in the world and they're both needed at different times and in different ways. And the reason I'm sharing this is because the, the, the joy piece for me actually is something I think that became particularly clear coming out of the first 10 day silent uh, meditation retreat that I ever did. And I was really stunned at the end of that by the depth of peace that I felt within me. Um, my clarity of, of sort of seeing almost at a frequency level, it's difficult to explain and it's not something mm -hmm. I've been able to sustain either um, yet, maybe one day. But, but the other thing that was really surprising to me was this bubbling up of joy a completely unexpected experience at the end of this this retreat and it was powerful because it was it was a very different feeling to happiness or to kind of more fleeting moments of joy it was something that was again connected to this depth of being um 
and and that to me there's something really powerful and potent there that i i wouldn't say i'm in search of but i delight in when it's when it materializes you know i was imagining that you know at the time that you you know at borders when you declare those ideas is where i'm headed that it wasn't a an instantaneous result that you had to get to the point where um you had to evolve into it would you agree with that that you know it wasn't like you woke up at 40 and went Holy, I'm so, you know, I'm going to take my whole life now and I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm never going to do this. And, you know, that's not how it works, or at least that's not my experience. And that, you know, over time, it has to mature. It has to evolve. And I guess I'm curious, you know, how the concept of creating joy in your life, um, it's obvious that it was there as a young child based on what you shared. But how have you brought it back into your life and how... Does it guide and direct the work that you do now? Yeah, so this probably brings us full circle in some ways, this question, because it does and it doesn't uh, guide and direct the work that I do now. And that, I think, is partly connected to my owning the vision that I had and, and living into it as fully as I could. And and I say vision, but I'm meaning a combination of vision and, and purpose. When we, you know, particularly as we think about sort of purpose in terms of essence, blessing, mission and message. Um, so it does and it doesn't. And sometimes I, I, I come to it more intentionally and think about how could I, how can I, how might I, you know, Un- bring more joy, unleash more joy in myself and, and in the world, in others. Other times, I don't even have to think about it. I'm thinking about, in particular, there's, there's a handful of clients that I've had over the years where I kind of know we're done because some, because joy has, not just joy, but joy and playfulness has been released and they're embodying it in a beautiful way. And, and, and it's very present in our coaching conversations and it's very natural, it's very spontaneous. And it's it's the best coaching conversations to me are always when it's a co-creation. And, uh, and as we move into that kind of um, really powerful coaching conversation, it often, the joy and the playfulness naturally arise in me and them in our relationship. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The other thing that I, I come back to, and it's interesting because I'm starting to to now go back into uh, working in organizations again in a way that I haven't for a few years. Um, but I find in teams and groups, you know, when you hit that moment of creative flow, co-creative flow, right? There's a dynamic, there's a feeling, it's fluid, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. And even though in the moment people might not name joy, reflecting on the experience, and this sort of ties, I suppose, to Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's work on flow, you know, there's a feeling of joyfulness, of joy. That was a joyful experience. And so, so that piece around the, the co-creation, I think, is incredibly important. I think this is also important for our world because I think we are moving, I think evolutionary, we are trying to move from, you know, what is what has more recently been very individualistic in terms of creation and doing to, to more collective. So, so I think part of this next level of joy is to be able to 
really co-create with each other, but with life, right? So there's that aspect of surrendering, receiving, and working with the energies of life to create something. And in that process, joy will will be released in without doubt. I mean, I think anyone with a kind of a co with a creative aspect or orientation to them, I think will will get what we're talking yeah. about because they've experienced it. Yeah, I agree. So um you talked about that, you know, your purpose actually you didn't say so much what you thought your purpose was. You shared your vision. You know, mm. that was with all of the lights and everything. And being able to see the life within the community and then the light reaching out. How would you translate that or how did you translate that through the true purpose process into like your mission statement? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my mission that is actually my uh, evolving. Um, the mission that I received quite early on, but didn't fully own or know how to live into, and probably still don't, candidly, was uh, to unleash joy in the world. <laughs> so, so I'm still working out the, the one the hour of that. <laughs> and that's why I think, you know, I, I don't, I, there's parts of me that still don't fully own that. But, but one thing that I am really intrigued by and delighted by is ever since I received that mission, I've particularly in the last five five years, I keep seeing joy popping up everywhere. More and more people are referencing it, are doing things with it, are being intentional about it. So it's also possible that you know my work around it isn't is 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 you know at the field level rather than at the level of specific um, specific interventions. Yeah, I want to just acknowledge that I too am hearing a lot of reference to people doing things out of joy. And it's like, you know, I know several people in my life that they feel like, you know, the thing that they're working on right now is how to bring more joy to their life. And, you know, there are people that I'm starting to move in this direction myself. It's like, if it doesn't feel good, I don't want to do it, you know, and I usually don't do it if it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So, and sometimes I go, well, you know, you really should embrace this particular thing because it will benefit you. And I'm still, oh, no. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's powerful, isn't it? It reminds me, the first ever coach I, I hired uh, was, she, she was incredibly catalytic in my life, Phoebe, because at the time that I hired her, I was living primarily in my head. It was very cerebral, <laughs> very intellectual. And that was safe, right? My hey, safety. My and thinking, that's going to make me win. Exactly. So, you know, it's, um, and funnily enough, a lot of my clients are now, you know, trying to make that journey back from the head into the, into the heart, into the whole being. Um, it's, it's a beautiful journey, but it was, it was very tough for me. But one of the, the things I really learned from her was, you know, to really pay attention to what brought me alive, to my excitement, and and to use those as guides, you know, is or isn't this the right direction for me? And, and I think since then, I've also done a lot of thinking around this connection from, you know, or spectrum, if you like, from fear through to excitement, and it goes through anxiety. So anxiety is a very interesting thing because, you know, you tip slightly one way and you could be tipping towards fear. You tip slightly the other way or you're willing to face that anxiety and it can lead you to excitement. 
Now, if you can already feel the excitement without having to experience the anxiety, even better. There's there's something there for you. And actually, this reminds me of one more thing I was thinking might be useful to share in relation to vision, because you know sometimes we we have or receive a very clear vision or we create it because we are remarkably creative beings. And some of us, I think, particularly have a very powerful imagination. So you can quickly conjure up a vision um, in your in your minds. But there's also times I found, and this connects to the knowing, where all I know is that there's there's some excitement there. I don't know any more than that, but it's enough to, for me to lean in and know and allow the vision, the, the vision connected to why that is significant or purposeful for me to emerge in time. And the beauty I found when I do follow that excitement without having the clarity of vision or the knowing of the specifics is that I have less attachment to a particular outcome. And that can be very, very useful to just be able to be present to allow what wants to happen through me to happen. I really appreciate that because I feel like um, one of the things that I'm that I'm holding space for these days is for, you know, what's the what's the energy that wants to um, emerge, you know, what what are the things that are wanting to come into being, um, and it's like you know being aware of that. <clears throat> I, I I'm looking at, um, you know, for you when you were traversing this journey, and you get into the place where you have a knowing of excitement. And at the same time, you also have the uncertainty of what's going to happen. How do you navigate that in the moment? You know? I mean, there's there's two examples coming to mind, but they're quite different because one of them, there was no uncertainty. It was, it was the move to Cornwall. When I let myself <laughs> know, the knowing was super clear. There was no decision to be made. It just was. And there was no fear or uncertainty. It just was the right next thing to do. People often look at me or people that meet me will often say, gosh, that was such a brave thing to move, not knowing anyone there, et cetera. It wasn't brave at all. It was just the natural next step because the knowing was so clear and there was no uncertainty about it. But I had to let myself have the knowing, right, which I'd been <laughs> resisting for a while. So, so that's that's one incident. And so maybe that's part of it is is recognizing when we don't want to know and being okay with that, right? Sometimes we don't have to get rid of the unwillingness to know, but it, it may just be simply accepting that that's where we're at at the moment. And that that in itself, I think, will help the knowing drop in. But but the another example of that is is someone that I met that I. I don't know why, but there was some resonance. There was some resonance. And I just thought, I know what this is. I don't really see why I need to do this, but I need to do this because of this resonance is, is, and so the, there, the, the excitement was, was, was palpable. Um, the uncertainty was around, yeah, just again, couldn't really see the potential of the possibilities. Um, and so didn't really know what to do with it, but I but 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 I navigated it by just trusting. 
all I have to do at any point is take the next step, you know, and then I can always make another choice. If that next step doesn't result in something that still has the same level of resonance or excitement, I just make another choice. I've not lost anything. I'm not attached to a particular outcome. I'm not looking for anything particular to happen here. I'm just trusting and following the excitement and always remembering I have choice. So just take the next step that feels right to take. You you really bring up within me that one of the, the big things that I discovered a few years ago was I'm not married to the choices that I make. Um, you know, I thought that once I decided on something, I was going to have to live with that for the rest of my life. And the idea that I could make another choice was like, what? It's powerful, though, isn't it, when you realize that? <laughs> well, I was going to say, it was like, you know, my whole life I learned, you know, when you make a decision, you just flip it, you know, kind of a thing. And it was like to go, you mean I have to do something else? Oh. oh. <laughs> I wonder where that comes from. That Why do we take that, that where does that belief, that because it is a belief, right? And probably one yeah. we've been taught. But yeah, you make a decision, you stick with it. But actually, you know, you make a decision, it doesn't work out. We'll just make a new decision. <laughs> yeah, but usually my my pathway has been make a decision, live with it. If it doesn't work out, keep working at it to make it work. Oh, yes, I've done that. I've been there, done that as well. <laughs> and then maybe I go wake up one day and go, you know, I don't really have to do that. <laughs> so I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, if people wanted to, you know, work with you, get a hold of you, how would they do that? Especially since you're over in the UK. Yeah, so I think there's there's probably two best ways to get hold of me. So one thing they can do is just look at my website, which is my first name, Rashmir, R-A-S-H-M-I-R dot net. So quite easy to find. I mean, Google me. There's not many people with the first name Rashmir. It's pretty easy to find me. And then from my website, you can always reach out and contact me. There's a contact form. The other place that I'm really active is LinkedIn. And likewise, if you just Google me, my LinkedIn profile will come up. Or if you look up my first name in LinkedIn, uh, again, you'll find me. And I'm, I'm pretty active. I'm weirdly enjoying LinkedIn these days. <laughs> so, wow. so, yeah, okay. great place to connect and have a conversation and swap ideas and, and thinking. And, yeah, so those are probably the two best best options. So is there a direct link on LinkedIn that uh, you would recommend to people or just go to LinkedIn and look it up? There is a direct link. It does involve my surname, however, so, which, as you know, it's quite long. So it might just be easier for people to look at my first name. Like search R-A-S-H-M-I-R on LinkedIn and you can find me. Okay, cool. So is there any other wisdom that you would like to share before we close this call? No, I love where we ended. Um, I, I think that's the thing I'd encourage people to keep coming back to, which is to remember we all have choices. It doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, uh, how limited the choice set we can see is, there are probably more choices available to you in that moment than you realize. Uh, really good, really good. All right, well, Rockberry, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And like I said, I really enjoyed the, the time that I spent with you today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bibi. It's been such a fun conversation. And I so appreciate your your questions and uh, reflections as well. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. All right.